All right. Well, I see there's some people who didn't get 35 chapel credits yet, so. Um, yeah. After all the exams, after all the presentations, after all the papers, after all there being no hot water in Grey Beatty, after getting the flu that's been going around, and I have it right now, so bear with me, after all the nights studying, after preparing for graduation, the life after, after part-time jobs, long-distance relationships, and working as hard as you can to get the B in the class that you didn't think you would pass. What was it all for? What are we getting to? Well, it comes to this in 19 days. I'll walk up on a, a stage and I'll shake some people's hands and I'll grab a piece of paper that put me into financial debt and <laughs> at the end of it all, I'll be able to have my piece of paper. Well, okay, it actually, the, it comes in the mail, so it's not like they give you the piece of paper, but... You know, so you, so you have a piece of paper at the end of all of this, and it says Bachelor of Arts or Bachelor's of Science, and you say, that's it. I did it. And then it's over, right? And then, you know, we can, we can die knowing that we got a bachelor's or a master's or a doctorate, and, and that's good, right? Because that's all we were working towards. There was nothing else afterwards. We were just working for the piece of paper, and that's it. And then you're looking at me, you know, students, teachers, and you online, and, and you're thinking to this skinny kid up here, like, no, he's got the wrong idea because it's not about the piece of paper. It's about the life that comes after, right? Right, okay. But do we really live like that? Do we really live like it's all just for, you know, the piece of paper, the life after? Do we really live like there's a life after this life? And I'm not talking about college life anymore. I'm talking about this life. Do we really internally think to ourselves in our mind, I'm working for the life after this? Or do we think to ourselves, I'm working to make the most just out of this and to get to the end and that's it? And so James in his letter, as we're going to look at in chapter 5, verse 7 through 11, is going to explore this a little bit. And he's going to provide some examples of how we can get to the end where our mind should be set and what should we be thinking of to prepare for the life after. So as you open up James chapter 5, it'll be on the screen, it says this. So be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's return. Think of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient for it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient and strengthen your hearts, for the Lord's return is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge stands before the gates. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name. Think of how we regard as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance, and you have seen the Lord's purpose, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Let's pray. God, we come before you today to learn a little bit about what all of this life was really about, what we're working towards, and what, in light of your Easter Resurrection Sunday, what this means for our future. So God, I encourage you to challenge us 
God, ignite something in us and inspire us to live differently than we did coming into this place today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we read this scripture from James, but, you know, I think we kind of phase out sometimes. What does it really mean, though? What, what, what was James talking about when he talks about this farmer waiting for the rains, for Job's endurance, for the prophet's patience, and for the judge who is standing at the gates? Of course, we can all infer that that's Jesus, but and really, when, when we're thinking about this life after our lives, how do we live? And so when we break down this, this passage, we'll come to find that James is providing three examples for us of how we should set our minds and think to ourselves about what we're preparing for. And this is the farmer, the prophet, and Job. And so we'll get into each of these and look at them individually. The first one is the farmer. And so we see this character that he portrays in verse 7. And so I'll read that part again. He says, So be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's return. Think of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient for it until it receives the early and late rains. And so in preparation for this, I, I was thinking about, in light of a life after this life, how does that relate to a farmer waiting for rain to come? And so I, I start to examine this, and I think of all the different metaphors, all the different symbols that come out of farming and planting. We see this all the time in the scriptures. The vine, the tree of life, fruit, planting seeds. And so... In light of this, I think that James is being very crafty, very artistic when he's saying that life after this life is like a farmer who worked very hard his whole life, planted seeds, and for you that probably means spreading the gospel message, implanting Jesus and his message into people's lives, cultivating that ground, and then waiting for a day in which Jesus would return where water would come onto those seeds and we would see the real fruits of it all, what it was really all for in the end, what we were all working for, that really in, in light of this all, we're like farmers, that we're planting seeds in soil, and that someday there will be fruit from it all. The second example, the prophets and patience. He says this in verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name. And so um, at my time here at, at Northwest, I had the privilege of taking uh, the book of Ezekiel with Dr. Himes, um, one of the major prophets in, in, the, in the canon. And so uh, I was just thinking about that, how James is alluding to a very Jewish audience who knows very well the Old Testament. And so, of course, he can make all sorts of different references to the Old Testament. And so by saying the prophets, the original readers thinking to themselves, oh, yes, the prophets, they suffered and they endured and they had patience. But I think oftentimes the prophets are kind of one of the books that we neglect a lot. Um, the book of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, when, when you read it, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, yeah, you adulterous people, you Israelites and 
you know, your idols and things like that, and you're like, oh, okay, so they were bad people, and, you know, then they get judged, right? And then you kind of skip over that, and you're like, oh, yeah, Matthew and Jesus. Um, but really, when you, when you take a look at the character of the prophets, there's so much going on there in terms of what the prophets are enduring, what the prophets are dealing with in light of a people they're totally ridiculing the prophets for saying, why do you keep saying bad things are going to happen to us? God's got this all under control. You know, God's going to protect us. He's promised all these good things to us. And so I think it, in light of Ezekiel in this class I've been taking, you have this character, Ezekiel, and he looks out at Israel and he starts to notice that they're really not following God. And they're really beginning to worship idols and doing detestable things. And so Ezekiel starts to do these prophetic acts, and he starts to indicate to Israel that you can't keep living like this. And he's really speaking, you know, on behalf of God, and he wants Israel all to know that they can't keep living and worshiping idols. And how does Israel respond to him? Well, they cast him aside, of course. They don't care to think what he has to say because they think that they're going to be okay. And then after justice occurs, it, it turns out that Ezekiel is right, and then he will promise Israel that they will have a new heart and a new spirit. But in all of this, I think sometimes we kind of feel like the prophets a little bit sometimes. I think we wait for justice to come sometimes. And for good reason, if we're really looking for this life ahead, I think we should be striving for good things. I think we should be persevering, not with selfish intentions in mind, that this is all there is, but rather that there's a life after this life. There's a life after this life, and it's worth living for, it's worth dying for, it's worth doing the right things for. And sometimes it's incredibly difficult. And I think sometimes we'll suffer, and we have to have patience like the prophets who are getting ridiculed for doing the right thing. And we simply have to wait for vindication for, to come. And I think one day, I know one day, that there will be a day where Jesus will return and everything will be set right. And justice will be restored. And so James is turning to all of us and he's saying, knowing this, that Jesus is going to come back. Be patient like the prophets. Continue to do what is right. Continue to uphold God's standards, to love and honor him in everything you do. Don't be set on the things of this world because they're not going to last. But be set on God, eternity, Christ Jesus. And the last example we see is Job and endurance. And I think if you know the story of Job, sometimes we feel like Job a little bit. All right, if, if you know the story of Job, you you know that right at the beginning of the story, there, there's this interesting um, rhetorical situation that happens in which this character Job ends up, you know, being honored by God. And God looks at him and he says to all the divine hosts in heaven, he says, look at my servant Job, my good and faithful servant. Is there anyone like him? And then this figure, which is usually translated as Satan, this adversary figure, comes up to God and says, are you really sure about that? That 
Job is your good and faithful servant, or is he only doing these things because he's blessed and because he has, you know, so much from God? And so then this adversary figure is allowed to take away some of Job's things, his children's lives, his livestock, and even his health. And if you're, you know, thinking to yourself or relating to the character of Job, Job doesn't know any of this is going on. And really, this is just the very beginning of the book. The rest of the book is actually very little to do with Job and his faithfulness as he endures. Rather, it's a question of God's goodness. And really, it's an entire investigation of when bad things happen to seemingly good people who are righteous, who God recognizes doing the right thing, who are faithful servants, and yet somehow still suffer in this life. Is God really good? And I think sometimes we often feel like Job in which we don't get it. You know, the prophets, we know why the suffering is occurring. Sin is real. Stepping away from God's plan, but with Job, hard to see, hard to picture, hard to understand. And James pulls this example as well, and he says, have endurance like Job. Know how to suffer like Job, because in the end, when you look at the the great conclusion of Job, it's not how you think it is. That all of this book is an entire discussion about why do bad things happen to the righteous. And so at the end of the book, in chapter 38, I believe, the character of God himself out of a whirlwind comes to speak to this situation to provide an answer for this whole discussion between these friends and Job. And he doesn't give a very simple answer. In fact, he doesn't seem to answer the question at all. Instead, he says, Job, how would you like to run the world for a little bit? And he starts to give an image or a picture of the great scope of the world that we are in. Of every single little blade of grass outside. Of every drop of water in a great big ocean. Of every star in a galaxy and galaxies in a universe. And we're like this. We're like a flicker in life. And so though this, sometimes in God's response, it seems a little confusing and even harsh at times, I don't think it really is. I think there's something very powerful to say when we realize how very small our lives are and compared to infinity. And how sometimes life is a little bit of endurance, realizing that there is infinite after this finite life. When we realize that our endurance, our suffering, death isn't the end. It wasn't this scale. It was infinity scale. And then I think that in the end, that helps us to endure quite well. And so the, the author, James, he looks at us and he says, be like the farmer who's patient for the rains on the seeds we're planting He says, be like the prophets, waiting for God to set everything right. 
And so in your hearts, continue to do what is right. And sometimes when we're feeling like Job, he says, endure. There's a life after to come where God will set everything right. And so thinking this in, in light of graduation and coming back to what I said earlier, I've come to realize as in 19 days I'll be graduating, I wasn't working towards a piece of paper. I wasn't working towards a diploma. And none of us are, and it would be silly to live just for that in college. But rather, we're living for the life afterwards. That everything we do in college is preparing us for what happens after college. And in the same way, I think, James is trying to tell us that everything in this life is preparing for a life afterwards. And so as we bring this all together, I think there's one main point in all of this that James is conveying, and it is this. Let your life show there's life after death. Let your life show that there's life after death. And I want you to take a moment and think to yourself, in your life, what would it look like if I truly lived out that there was life after death? How would I spend my money if I thought that there was life after death? I can spend my money for the things that I'm interested in in this life, but what might endure in life after death? What might really be valuable? What might really be worth putting my time into? What conversations might I be willing to have knowing there is life after death? What hard topics might I address? What hard work would I be willing to put into knowing there's life after death? And I think even a bigger picture, what would it look like if every single Christian, every believer in this place, every person at Northwest University, what if we all believed? What, what could our community look like if we all lived out that there was life after death? Imagine how much of the world we could change if we were not focused on this world but the next, if we lived completely and totally selfless, knowing that God will set everything right in the end. And James, he comes to touch on that very thing. And he says, be patient. Endure. Because God's going to come back. Jesus, who he celebrated on Easter, he didn't just stay in the grave, but he was the very first person, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith to show that the story doesn't end at death. And I think sometimes we take that very thing for granted because we've spent our whole lives going to church, or at least for some of us, but to know that, you know, Jesus died for you and that he rose again on the third day. But do we really realize how much of an impactful, how much of a page-turner statement it is to say that Jesus came back from the grave, that Jesus rose from the dead. I think it, it changes everything. It shows that the story isn't over, that the story just begins with this life, that in the next life, it's where the real story is. 
And so I encourage you today to do what a, a very popular song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, would say. This is this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this message today. Thank you for this word. Thank you for speaking through Job to us, God. That you would encourage us and, and remind us that there's a life after this one, God. Because of that, we're going to live for you, God. We're going to live and serve you knowing that this isn't the end, it's just the beginning, God. Please encourage us, God. I pray that you remind us again and again, God. I pray that you convict us, God, and show us how we can turn our hearts, hearts to really live like there's a life after this one. We thank you for this time together, Lord. You give us strength to endure to the end of the semester and to the life after. In your name we pray. Amen.